commence primary ignition. This is Star Wars. Look out! You may fire when ready. From the bright center of the galaxy, I'm Grex Combeck, and you're listening to Call World News, your homeland news show of in-depth coverage and analysis for the latest stories from around the galaxy. Now for your new second rundown for June 25th, 2020. Fistful of Beskar. Kyber Crystal Comics Corner. But first, the first chapter of Charles Sewell's novel, The Light of the Jedi, has been teased. Now for your host to discuss the High Republic. All right. Thank you, Grex. We are Grant, Adam, and Ben here uh, with you right now. Uh, We all read this chapter off of IGN. Um, If you at home haven't read it, uh, we're not spoiling much here, but it does paint a corner of this time in the galaxy in great detail, and it's very interesting. So uh, for what it's worth, here's a spoiler wall, though I don't think you'll be spoiled that much. Um, And go. Grant, Adam, what were your first takeaways from this chapter? Uh, my first quick takeaway is I'm very, very, very upset that this got pushed by six months because <laughs> I really, really, really liked this. And I know it's such a tepid um, review, but I, I it made me very, very uh, curious about what was going to happen in chapter two. But I'll let Grant, you go ahead. You, oh. you, you, hip, you, you brought this to our attention, so I don't want to steal all the good points from you. Well, I was equally, you know, excited to read this, and when I read it, I was, I, I'm even more enticed to jump into this new era because this just the opening intro to yeah. the state of the galaxy yeah. that Charles yeah. Sewell's written here is beautiful. One a beautifully written. And then second, it's just the fact that, the, that we're really expanding on this, this idea of frontiersmanship in the galaxy is super exciting to me. And I love that Jedi are out there in the, in the outer rim, the outer rim feels perilous again. And I just think the stakes were ratcheted up by this first chapter. This yeah. first chapter, this character that we're introduced to, and just the peril and the stakes and the threat feels so real, and that is so invigorating to Star Wars because I love I've loved the sequel trilogy. I wasn't fully threatened by anything that I witnessed in it. I, it was just it felt right. more heartfelt to me. It felt like a coming together of a lot of different elements of Star Wars that I love, but I, I never felt the threat that I felt with Vader. And then for this issue to start so strong like this, I am I'm so enticed to see more and see this develop. Yeah. Yeah, when I, I li- saw this, the first thing I thought of was uh, Deadwood, which I watched recently. There's a lot of pop culture I catch up to about 10 or 15 years later. That's kind of my thing. <laughs> um, but it, it really felt like that because the way they painted this was very much that the Jedi were these sort of rogue sheriffs that were going out in the Outer Rim and just trying to maintain peace and also yeah. sort of like create civility and sort of pitch what you know the benefits of the republic um are um to to joining there and still being respectable of sovereignty and all that stuff and but it's a very hostile hostile environment and you know right away they we run into a trap a hyperspace trap that we've never seen in anything else we've ever seen in star wars before you know nothing like that so um yeah, I'm I'm really excited about that. It it, it has a very frontiersy flavor to it. Yeah. Um and and I knew that's how they sort of pitched it, but I didn't I couldn't really see how they were going to execute it until I read this chapter. Um and I'm very excited by it. Yeah. I I feel like the other thing is that it, the excerpt actually starts before chapter 1. There's an intro, right, uh, that Grant referred yeah. to. And it 
here's what I love about it. First of all, it felt like high fantasy. It felt like you were reading a high yeah. fantasy novel. Like it was really like, here's the world you're going to encounter. And and I don't know if it will, but I really hope this book has starts with a map. There, there I hope there's a galactic map at the very oh, beginning. Oh, that would be cool. Yeah. And it's kind of smaller than what we yeah, know. Yeah. It's very Tolkien, right? You start with a map, you start yeah. with this. This is your setting. But, but, you know, one thing I love about that too is it makes it the entrance point for anyone, right? They even, they even discuss what Jedi are in this sentence, in this opening, yeah. right? They didn't need to do that necessarily, right? Like they didn't even need this opening thing. If, if they threw you or I or all of us into this book, we would have been able to figure out within the first few chapters what the setting was, what the stakes, right. what the politics were. But this is a great introduction and it's super cool for fans to read. Like just, I'm just going to read the opening line. I know it may not be fun, but I, I it just, no, it's by means. the opening, it said, it is the time of the High Republic, a peaceful union of like-minded worlds where all voices are heard and governance is achieved through co co consensus, not coercion or fear. It is a time of ambitious, of, of uh, ambition, of culture, of inclusion, of great works. Visionary, and I just think that's such a great way to open it to be like, yeah. that is the shining star of what the Republic was that we never felt before. We never actually saw that right. in, the, in the movies. And, and I hope that's where they're going to in, you know, post-sequel trilogy that's um, again, I forgot what Grant wanted to call that era, but um, whatever it comes next, like I think they should get back to that um, through learning from their history yeah. and, um, and and sort of getting to it. So uh, it's something we haven't seen in Star Wars before, and, and I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I I love this intro. I love how the the they, they hit Charles Willis hit the reset button. He's re-explaining the Republic to us. He's re re-explaining where it's located at the you know the city world of yeah. Coruscant like we're hearing it yeah. for the first time it's a beautiful reintroduction to the Jedi and the gleaming light that was once this impressive Republic that came before the Republic we knew uh, uh just before the downfall um I I also feel that like this piece is is just going to also explore the juxtaposition of the age of expansion and how they're expanding out to the outer rim and yeah. how there are going to be dark controversies out there. They're going to, you know, uh, they're going to be the shadow when the galactic core is the light and they're, they're going to juxtapose that. And I think even though, even though that there's this, there's this facade, that the Republic is great and gleaming and this, the shining Republic, I think there could be this, this kind of beautiful metaphor that even though there's this light to this, this center of the galaxy, there is, there are dark tidings happening out in the yeah. outer rim. And I think well, that'll be a big, that'll be key to the story. And that's why we're seeing, we're getting a lot of light and we're getting all this, this, this verbiage and this imagery of light initially. But I think you're going to find out there is a, a deep darkness in the galaxy as well. Yeah. Part of me wonders if there, you know, Ben, I love this Deadwood, uh, you know, response. And in Deadwood, if you in the show, there's a lot of like reference back to New York. Right. And, and right. back to the East Coast and where there's kind of like this civilization, quote unquote. But part of me wonders if they're going to double down on this frontiers like stuff. Are the Nile. Are there going to are they going to paint the Nile as 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 clear, dark hat bad guys? Or are they going to be a group of individuals who have been. I don't know, pushed away, pushed out. Their planets have been maybe taken over by expansionist-minded people, right? Are they going to paint them more like Native Americans, right? That'd be super interesting, right? This idea yeah. that they, that you know, they didn't start the war; the war is brought to them. Type of type of situation. It'd be really interesting if they gave the Nile a little more depth in that way. Yeah, yeah they're, they're suffering from the repercussions of expansion. They're basically right. the yeah. I would love that. I think that's really really interesting. Yeah, still make them. Yeah. Still make them evil, right? Like a good bad guy to root for, but give them depth in that way. Right. Right. Yeah. 
Definitely. I mean, and they did that beautifully in Deadwood, too, where it was like, you know, he he killed a you know Native American once on his own that was defending his own burial ground and he didn't know it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, but then was instantly, you know, um, didn't recover that from that for a while and felt like he needed to bury him and put him with these people. And like, you know, yeah, still had compassion for those he defeated. I'm, I'm actually wondering if like each one of these new worlds with their own respective cultures may have their own respective darkness within them. Does that make mm. sense? Yeah. And that that they can help solve and sort of bring them to the light and sort of be a moral compass for some cultures that may be mired in their own, you know, problems because they're too insular. I, I'm, I'm trying, I'm tiptoeing around this, but because I don't want it to be too real, it's not like they're, you know, it's not like they're primitive or whatever. It's just like maybe they're helping to solve problems that are unique to each uh, but they're they're battling whatever, however the dark side, um, you know, shows itself at each right. world, which would be really right. interesting. Yeah. Cleansing the darkness in each yeah. of these worlds a little bit um, and bringing people together and, you know, um, as re- true agents of peace. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to the Nile real quick, they've been described as uh, barbarians and uh, to the the High Republic's Rome, right? It, yeah. It's, it, and it might be interesting. And they, they do look a bit nomadic to me because yep. their armor is so mismatchy and like looks like it's yeah. cobbled together from, from different parts and things like that. And so it wouldn't surprise me that they like float around as this massive trash heap, almost like a metaphor for the trash heap in the middle of our oceans, you know, on Earth that are kind mm-hmm. of like the result of our excess, the result mm. of the center of the galaxy abusing its power and expanding yeah. into territories, and like you said, Ben pushing people out and put and and creating this, you know, collective of people who feel like outcasts, and they're kind of now right. drifting through the galaxy. That could be the very debris that we see enter hyperspace, mm-hmm. and why, and you know, yeah. right? Yeah, let's uh, let's talk about hyperspace the ship apart. a yeah. little bit. Like we get it, we get a good look at kind of what is hyperspace, right? We've had discussed other things, but they spent some school spent some time discussing this and and kind of this idea. And there's a line. That in there that is is really it almost chilling to me. It's this. Um, so the, uh, the character we meet, the Hayda Cassid, is is um, looking out. She's the captain of her ship, and she's looking out, and she says, uh, "The swirls of hyperspace looked off somehow. Maybe it was the emergency lighting, but they had a reddish tinge. It looked sickly, right? Yeah. That's that's a great line. Where I'm like, what does that mean, right? Like, oof, right? Yeah. We probably yeah, should, just, probably should sorry. I just wanted to give a little recap because I've realized we haven't talked about what actually yeah, happened in point. this chapter. If you haven't read it and you're interested, we actually haven't given any spoilers. We've just been talking about things. But um, I, I mean, essentially, we follow a space captain um, on a very large uh, vessel that's for transporting all sorts sorts of things. Sometimes it's people. Sometimes it's, um, you know, supplies. This time it's people, 9000 people on it. Yeah. And um, of all different species. And, you know, it's this massive ship that's going through space and they run into problem. They're in hyperspace and it's a lot of interior monologue. And she's talking to people there. Um, There's a lot of science. And then um, and then, yeah, they get they get yanked out of hyperspace or, you know, nearly avoid a collision. And then. Well, the ship, the ship. Spoilers. Yes. The ship eventually gets shredded shredded. and gets sucked into the void. it's yeah. Spoilers, horrifying. but again, it's it's chapter one of probably thirty <laughs> chapters. Yeah. So so right. you know yeah. it's not like we're spoiling too much, but a terrifying end. Right. Just just to establish a little baseline of what we're doing. Sorry, Grant, I, I interrupted you there. 
Oh no, I was just gonna say that that was just truly terrifying at the yeah. end there. Yeah, very and uh, yeah. I was very surprised that we were gonna get this dark this early in this in this book. And I'm very excited to to read more. Me too. Yeah. When's it coming out? January, February, right? <laughs> uh, I think it's I think it's January now, right? Twenty twenty one. Yeah. That's but, a bummer, you know, man. Good things come. Right. But uh yeah. And they, we did talk about the character we introduced to who was a, like a captain uh, uh, and a fighter pilot. Uh, and she flew this like, what was it, a Z-94 Buzzbug? Yeah. This kind of cool ship. Uh, and the freighter is called the Legacy Run. I thought that was an awesome name. Yeah. There's uh, a little tip of the cap, I think, to the like Legacy, like, you know, old EU people, I think. Yeah. Possibly. Um, and then back to the intro real quick. We do... Uh, we do learn about uh, the, the the name of the chance the chancellor uh, for the, this time of the High Republic. And it's Lena So. Yeah, is the name of the chancellor. So cool to know. Um, yeah. yeah, that's that's basically all the information I gleaned, all the kind of the the character information that I I could glean from this yeah. first chapter. It's given me exactly what I wanted from the first chapter, which feels like the writers have carte blanche to do a lot of things right and it feels open in a way that some of the other novels feel a bit closed because they're they're playing within can current canon right so you so yeah. much yeah i thought it was cool that she did try to take the freighter into manual uh yes as, yeah. as it was in hyperspace yeah. yeah in hyperspace as it was about to hit something i was like that is i would love to see a scene like that in the mm -hmm. films at some point Right. And she does manage to navigate to avoid the uh, item of debris, but her ship can't take the, the strain of that maneuver. And yeah, that's what does her in, which is sort of great. And I'm, I'm looking forward to more science in this. Like this yeah. is science fiction and I, I do love the science part of science fiction. So I hope we get a little more of that. There were some other nods to other pieces of pre-established fiction that I was like, huh. I mean, one is the Nile, where I wonder how close to the Reavers it's going to be. We mentioned that. Yeah. If you've ever watched Firefly, it's an amazing series. Um, but the Reavers and the Nile, I, I hope they, they aren't too closely related. But if you're talking about, like, Trash Heap, like... Um, that was just a that was just speculation. Yeah, I had the same. When Grant was just arriving, I kept going, Reavers. But I, yeah. <laughs> the other thing yeah. is um, our, our captain, who I forget... I forget her name. I wish um, I remembered it right now, but um, it, it, uh, Hedda Cassette. Yeah, there you go. What is it? Uh, Hedda Cassette. Hedda Cassette. Yeah. Okay, not in a thousand tries, but awesome. <laughs> um, and uh, she was like, "Here, you can take the bridge." And I was like, "Wait a second. I was like, "Is this a Star Trek novel?" Or yeah, a little Star Trekky. Yep. Well, sorry. I mean, and also like that's that's the other dangerous thing. Like, I'd, I hope it's much more. Deadwood than Star yeah. Trek. But, you know, you that's know? okay because Star Trek has gotten a little Star Warsy in the in the in the recent past. So hey, you know everything blends. Everything everything steals from everything or bor borrows from everything. Okay, we'll always yeah. have the Force, and they won't. So that's true. They'll just well, with, have the, with the with the this this era of frontiersmanship. I feel like that's going to usher in a tone of, of, of a theme of, of you know that Star Trek addresses and or the tones of Star Trek as well. You know because yeah. that's it's all about exploring. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Well, um, this is fabulous, and um, I can't wait to read more. Unfortunately, it's going to be like nine months from now. But it was very nice of them to give us a little uh, little dip in the pond to uh, see what we have to look forward to. Um, and I am certainly looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. And now, for Fistful of Beskar.
All right. Welcome to another edition of Fistful of Beskar. This will be uh, the last um, little report we do on Gallery. We're going to talk about the final two episodes of Star Wars Galleries um, regarding uh, The Mandalorian. Um, the seventh episode was entitled Score, and the eighth episode is entitled Connections, both super fun and interesting and close to our hearts. Um especially score. I just got done watching it for the second time. Um, they really got into the nitty gritty with uh, Ludwig Gorenson and his method to creating the score and really the process from conception, their meeting all the way um, until completion with a full orchestra. Um, and it was so fun. I loved this so much. I, I mean, I, I have a playlist on Spotify with all the Mandalorian soundtracks there. I put it on shuffle whenever I'm on a long ride. Um, I love it so much. And this episode made me love it even more. Yeah. Um, he's a, a fantastic artist. Um, and to watch his process um, made me jealous, frankly, as like someone who's actually scored <laughs> like movies before. Um, he's just so talented and has just such a great worth work ethic and, and whatever. But um what did uh, what did you guys think when you when you saw this uh, score episode? Let me just jump in to be like Ben. I have the exact same playlist that I made uh, on uh, on Spotify, yeah. and yeah. I do it in my office awesome. at work. And I just I end up playing it through the speakers, not super loud, but enough that people walk by and are like, "Wait, what's going on now?" Yeah. <laughs> so it's awesome. The music yeah, it's, is amazing. It's so good, and it's so conducive to work for some reason more than the John Williams stuff, which I love. But like, I, I get so much work done listening to that. Yeah. And I actually thought of you, Ben, quite a bit when I was watching this episode because just watching him like like just play around with music, I've seen you do that. Like, you know, like being surrounded by artists and not an artist myself, I really have an appreciation for watching people just like him. Just I know he was re creating at the beginning of that episode, how he created the score to the Mandalorian, but it's still just like, yeah, but I kind of also think that's exactly how it happened in real life. Too. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean, but like, he cut like it, it made it look like he was recording it on film. Yeah. Like, oh, and it just like, came up with yeah. this idea. First I did the recorder and then I had the drum <laughs> and I'm like, you suck. Like, like you like, I get, I almost swore real bad. Cause I get real jealous as watching people do that. It's amazing. It was so much fun watching his process. Yeah. Yeah. His process was super interesting. And I also listened to the Mando soundtrack regularly. Uh, <laughs> the Walking on Mud, especially episode two of Mando, some of the, the tracks from that episode yeah. and the finale. I listened to oh, those on repeat. Mudhorn is yeah, like, Walking yeah. on Mud and the Mudhorn. Those are two of my favorites. Yeah. Uh, incredible pieces. I mean, he, it's not just guitars and world instruments, it's a Moog synthesizer. It's like this analog synthesizer that he yeah. uses that's fascinating he, he was um, the absolute perfect choice for this thing he and, really was i mean but if, if you go back to our old music episode our episode of the music we were talking about we yeah. were theorizing that the music for the mandalorian could could be reminiscent of ennio morcone and yeah. the spaghetti westerns we were like i i bet it's gonna have this soundtrack i think we're all saying that in a circle yeah. Yeah. and then what do we find out that was the influence that was the that inspiration was a, that yeah, that, yeah. Uh, name check john did. They, yeah, they name checked um, two. Yep. Uh, they they didn't name check the uh, score writer for uh, Kira Kurosawa films, um, but they did mention. But they, they mentioned Ennio Morricone, which does all the spaghetti westerns for Sergio Leone, um, which is you know has been hot for like two decades. Like has got a resurgence in the past yeah. decades. Yeah. Ennio Morricone, uh, Morricone is still touring Europe, by the way. Um, mm. His music is just amazing, and it has this <laughs> such uh, such a unique aesthetic. Um, that I think people really latch onto it. The hip hop communities latched onto it. Um, that they love it. And it's, it's and, and even in pop culture too, I have a great record of uh Jack White's 
where he did a fake Morricone um, mm. soundtrack to a, a movie that doesn't exist. Um, <laughs> Sounds like a very Jack White thing to do. Yeah, he and it was fan. It's fantastic, and I can't remember the name of it right now because I'm dumb. But um, uh, gave enough. Yeah. Gave enough info that people can right. Google it. But then you know, so we watched um, we watched Hidden Fortress a couple weeks right. ago. And yeah. I mentioned there, I mean, the the score blew me away. It's a very modern score. Yeah. And, it, and it sounds, well, A, like it belongs in Star Wars. Like you could see how like, yeah. you know, the wheels turning for George Lucas listening to that and being like, yeah, something like that. And probably was notes for John Williams. And then, you know, you can see how Ludwig Göransson borrowed from that aesthetic as well. It's like this modern ensemble with Ennio Morricone just um, just mashed together. And he just, like, going from that. So it, and it's the same thing that that Favreau and Filoni started with. They're like, let's not look at Star Wars. Let's yeah. look at the things that inspired Star Wars. It's like, right. let's not look at John Williams. Let's look at the things that inspired John Williams. And, and actually, really, what inspired this style that they're going for, and you know, even which sort of bypasses John Williams. And Pitch Perfect, he just nailed it he so, just nailed it yeah i mean that's that's i took almost the exact same thing away from it where it's just like by emulating what star wars emulates you get closer to star wars than if you're emulating star wars if yes. that makes sense yeah because because i have the same thought of like he is the way forward right like his score sounds so much like star wars even though it doesn't sound like john williams very much but it feels like star wars right more so than and i feel bad i'm not trying to throw shade but i also have another um playlist where i have every single score of every single star wars movie and tv shows on spotify that they've released in a loop right and i can and i'm not and ben can vouch for this i'm not the most musically attuned person but i can within three seconds of the start of a of a of, of, of a song tell you whether it's john williams or not Right, whether it's a John Williams sound alike, which is what a lot of these other composers do, because you just can't do John Williams. Only John Williams can do John Williams, right? It doesn't sound bad. It just sounds like a copy of a copy sometimes, right? Right. right. And that's what they were trying to avoid. They and they even mentioned it. They were like, you know, we can sort of do this cheap, you know, shortcut was the word they used, where it's like, all right, we can use little cues from the, you know, from the Star Wars themes, borrow yeah. the riffs, borrow the motifs. And like and and get it, but they're like we didn't want to do that. This is something different. Yeah. And yeah. um, and 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 that was the absolute right vector to take. I, I just before we go any further, I just have to say like this in and of itself, and really this whole gallery series makes you feel like the the point of view that Favreau and Filoni have that t team together is the perfect direction for Star Wars going forward. Sort right. of like looking at their Which references borrowing from things and right. know, we'll get more into that in the when i think you're hitting it, then i think you're hitting it right on the head ben i think they're borrowing from the roots of what star wars is they're not borrowing from star wars itself they're breaking apart the amalgamation that everyone kind of riffs off of yeah. and they're exploring right. those individual themes and individual influences that first influenced george and you see that here in the music i love john powell's score for solo i love michael giacchino's score yeah. for Rogue One. I love uh, uh, Kevin Kiner's scores for Rebels and the Clone Wars. They're yeah, amazing, they're but they're riffing off of Star Wars. Yeah, what right. The, what, they what have the Mandalorians to, they have doing, to pay homage to what came before there. Yeah, they right. Have, yeah. And the Mandalorians bringing in like music from Westerns and music yeah. from samurai films. And I have been 
you know, wishing all my life to see, to hear that music during moments of lightsaber fights and things like that. Like I would love to hear music from like that, the organic thrumming that you hear in Japanese films like Seven Samurai and Ugetsu that I've watched recently and, and, and the kind of offbeat, you know, crash. And then the, 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 the woodwinds that come in just, just organically. It's, it's this really interesting sound that they somehow were able to bring into the Mandalorian and modernize with this brilliant young artist, up and coming artist in, in, and I feel like it's just, it's the perfect blend. It's, it's, it's really just a really fun, uh, 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 approach to yeah. cr- crafting star wars music yeah. so to bring it back to john williams just for a second i actually had a note in my in my in my notes i was making before uh that actually ended up erasing but it was we were i think like 18 minutes into the 22 episode minute uh, episode and i wrote it's odd that they haven't actually said the word the name john williams yet they went yeah. 18 minutes in without saying john williams that's yeah. a choice right and then you get the last four minutes which is ludwig talking about john williams and the importance of john williams and the effect of that and it was very heartfelt and connected to that right. but that shows what it is right that he that john williams comes in after the fact in a way right not before it's yeah. more is this is this true to his vision at the end after you've made the creation not before you've made the yeah. creation well it was an interesting creative path that, that they took he so uh, one thing that just like makes my heart so full of joy is that he said like he just went to his studio for a month and didn't do anything <laughs> yeah. play instruments and he didn't sit in front of his computer recording whatever he just played his instruments and um and just sort of listened to them he says it's more I, I, like conversational i forgot the, the exact term but he just you know it's a more live experience and if you've ever like picked up an instrument and played it and not thought about any other conditions you understand what that is you can sort of just hear it and i don't know it does things but mm-hmm. i love that but so he he came up with five songs in that month and played them they gushed um but there was also he decided he wanted another face to this too where he put it in orchestra um and that was the homage to john yep. williams and it turned it, it it just so happened that by taking his very modern music Gordonson's very modern music um with all these different instruments from his wide experience just like very um uh i can't think of the french word but um avant-garde sort of tastes um and then you you put a, a orchestral score to it it becomes it it can't help itself but sound like a star wars score because you have an orchestra there and um and and, and it sounds like he did it on a budget he just like they you know yeah. favreau mentioned he was like you did it like it, you know smashed through all these songs in a few days and which is quite a, a feat. He said it's like essentially doing, you know, Gorenson realized he needed um, unique motifs for each of these um, shows and each of these characters. Yep. So right. he said it was like doing a score for three feature length movies. Yeah. Probably on the budget of a half a feature length movie. Yeah. Um, and in the time of a of a half yeah. you know, of a, you know, indie. Um, and he was able to do that. They gave him the score and, you know, they gave him the orchestra and he made it work. Yeah. Do you want to hear a, a random factoid about Ludwig that that uh, only came about through happenstance for me this week? Sure. So they mentioned in this episode that he knows Donald Glover. Right. And that he scored, I think, a short film that Donald Glover worked on. Yep. Yep, and sure. so it's very interesting where I was just like, huh. So if you take that one step back, he met 
Donald Glover not on Solo, but on the show Community, because Ludwig did the score yeah. for the show Community, which I just think is like you never know where people get starts, right? Like this, yeah. he, he did he did he did a score for a sitcom for six years, I assume. I don't know if he was there the entire time, but right, like that's that's I just an that's iconic score, score yeah. by the way. Like yeah. if I hear that score, I know that show is playing in the other room immediately. Yeah. It's almost like it the is. Office I, or I, Parks and Rec. The second I, I saw that, where my wife and I were kind of rewatching it slowly, and and I think I caught it. And like after watching 10 episodes, I just saw his name flash by at the very end. I'm like, whoa, wait now? What now? And since then, I've watched five episodes and now I'm not even paying attention to the plot at all. I'm just listening to try to like pick his little nuances out. And it is like a weirdly complex score for a sitcom. Yeah. And I mean, so there's there's a little bit of luck involved, but I'm not going to take anything away from his talent. He's he's a singular talent. It just it feels like this sort of thing just happens. It's like how Radiohead, like the whole band just grew up in the same town and happened to make yeah. the best band that ever happened. So, I mean, he was college roommates in film school at, at USC with Ryan Coogler, who yeah. is the, the director for Black Panther. Yeah, and right. I mean, that's that how soundtrack is equally yeah. amazing. Also, yeah, randomly watched part of that movie today because I'm teaching a class where I show that movie. So oh, cool. <laughs> it's been a very Lugwood uh, 24 hours for me. Yeah. Um, so just fantastic. And I mean, you know, that that worked out. And and it, it as good people do, Kugler, who, you know, whenever he ran into anyone that mattered was like, you need my my score guy. You need you know, you yeah. should really think about, you know, Ludwig Gorenson. He's amazing. Um, and and. You know, and Favreau talked about that and, and he was like, OK, I'll give it a shot. And it was just a perfect marriage. They just they hired well um, and it worked out. It doesn't always work that way. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if there's other people they hired before him and it didn't work out. But I mean, it, the way they talked about it, it was just like it was like, OK, we'll give you a shot. Do this thing. See what you got. And then um, and he just just nailed it. Just yeah. nailed it. Because I think they came from the same point of view, which is just, you know, like we we want something new. We want something creative. All, you know, this is a brand new tangent on star Wars and, um, and go for it. And he was, you know, hired young, got someone with a, a brand new point of view un you know, affected by other ideas and just, um, and, and did his own thing and was him. It was himself. And, you know, it just makes me think that like Favreau has a really good gut for this stuff. And, and, you know, knows these people that are like, all right, if you just be you, you know, I'm not asking you to do anything that's outside of your abilities. Um, I think it'll work out. And you know, he put his trust in the right person and, and looked yeah. at the points in and he nailed it. Absolutely. Incredible, um, incredible episode. Yeah. I have a feeling we're not done talking about Gorson or Gorson, but we'll be talking about him again soon. Mm. Yeah. We think we're going to do a little Goran. For, let's just do it. Um, for for yeah. 4th of July, last year we did a... Uh, John Williams episode where we broke down our favorite scores there and we were tempted to go dip back into that and um, and do a deeper dive because there's so much music. But um, since we listened to this and Gorenson does such a fantastic job and he because he essentially created three feature yeah. films worth of music, um, we're going to do a Gorenson episode on for Fourth of July and um, just talk about our favorite um, music pieces that he made and 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 do him justice um, yeah. for what he's done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he has a substantial body of work already. I mean, right. with the with the whole first season, and and if you just if you listen to the soundtrack, there are like yeah. eight to ten tracks for each episode. It's, yeah. it's astounding how much. He's I'm created. looking at my Spotify playlist. It's seventy songs that last three hours and fifteen minutes. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah, that's that's a career for a lot yeah. of 
scoring, you know, artists. Um, and he did it in one show. So, but that wasn't the only uh, gallery episode we watched this week. We also watched episode eight, Connections, which was all about the the deep cuts, uh, the tributes, the homages to the original trilogy that are in the Mandalorian. Right. And everyone's sharing in on their experiences with uh, with these characters, creatures, you know, items, trinkets, things that we've seen in the films and where they first showed up and then how how much they mean to the fans and the creators. And that was that was an incredible episode. Like, uh, is that the final episode in the series? Yeah, that was the, the final, final episode. Yeah. yeah. OK, so that's Connect- the final season episode. one. Yeah. And uh, a bittersweet f- finale uh, for the season. Uh, there were some there. I had a few takeaways from this, but got to say, loved uh, the beginning with uh, Will, Will Rohood and the run yeah. of Will Rohood at <laughs> a celebration, which we'll see in 2022. Yeah, we yeah. will. We will. We will. I was uh, I was I was happy to see the ice cream maker in the show. Yeah. I'm a little sad that we got, what, 10 minutes in this episode about Will Rohood. <laughs> Because Good it's three to four minutes, it just felt like 10 <laughs> minutes to me because it's my it's kind of my favorite go to yeah. reference thing. And now it's a thing, which is fine. Like that's Star Wars. It's great. I'm, I mean, it's not like I'm the only person that talks about it. They talk about the running of the Will Row hoods at yeah. Celebration, which is one of my favorite things. And and I will probably be taking part of that if, uh, if when we right. get there. <laughs> right. We're going to put the Cobalt News logos be... on oh, yeah. our orange jumpsuits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just need to start looking ice cream for. Yeah, we got to start looking to see if we can buy a, the. <laughs> Cam Tono uh, ice cream maker on eBay. <laughs> I know that's what we need. Maybe we'll you know, crowdfund it. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it was it was it was fun to see. Um, I, my big takeaway from this episode is that everyone there realizes that Star Wars is amazing, but also a little bit silly at at its core, yeah. right? And so it takes the silliness stuff, and and but pays it like it does it referentially, right? Like it's not making fun right. of Star Wars. They're having fun with Star Wars. Like this was the episode where everyone laughed the most. There was so much of them just laughing around the table about the silly things in Star Wars right. that they hugged lovingly and put into this show. And it's kind of amazing. Yeah, they were talking. Uh, Favro was talking about how, you know, how JJ was out there doing episode nine with all these flashy kind of new toys, new creatures, new, new weapons new new uh, armor and all this kind of stuff and he was like i'm gonna reach you know i'm gonna reach and, and use those deep cut like obscure characters that right. that aren't really that cool <laughs> that are kind of yeah. just like but are staples of star wars and and reinvigorate those the those characters in the fans eyes and things like that yeah. and i was like i i thought that was, I was super admirable and i i commend yeah. him on, on doing basically it. that was so cool. basically yeah basically the episode is here's a still from mandalorian where the character is right up front and here's the still from the movies where he the character's third person in the background there's like a red arrow pointing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? yeah 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 i i the part i love most about this episode was feloni talking about how you know we didn't just throw them in as like random you know nods yeah. we had to use them and because there were things that we needed to do so it was like the uh the doorkeeper droid from uh, in, in Tatooine at Jabba's palace that reused that on Tatooine and, you know, Deveronians and like all these, these other things, they, they use them tastefully. Blurbs, They're like, all right, we need a thing. Yeah. Like, where can we reach back into history where they needed a thing? And they, what did they reach for? And, um, I mean, obviously the ice cream maker was gratuitous <laughs> and, uh, awesome. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, they, they did it very tastefully and it moved the plot forward and helped things out. And it was also, you know, something for, 
hardcore fans like our listeners, all y'all listening to us right now, and um, the three of us, um, you know, we all saw it, and and we've talked, you know, we've, you know, as we were critiquing all of these episodes as they happened, we called all these things out, but um, they, you know, it's fun for us, but if you've never seen it, you'd still love it. You'd still be like, oh, whatever, it's just a cool thing, and it, it's like the device, the way that they made the ice cream maker like open up and like <laughs> yeah, have yeah, that yeah. glowing, like you know, they they compared I think it. They to... dubbed it a Camtono. Yeah. Oh, Camtono. Yes. No, yeah. I, I I think the Camtono is the name of the ice cream maker. I think is it's it? the actual. I think wow. it's the. Uh, the I'll name. Google it. I think it's the brand name, but I could be wrong. That's incredible. Regardless, they they said it was like. Um, the no i was wrong it's in the galaxy sorry go ahead <laughs> um it, it was like the quentin tarantino movie uh pulp fiction where they opened the briefcase and the golden light like they they recreated the golden light that spilled onto the car and um i mean it was awesome i remember when the first time i saw them open that ice cream maker and like show the best car you felt like you were like that's a fortune that's <laughs> yeah a you fortune did. in best car yeah. And uh, they just, I don't know, they just did great things. Yeah. With all these nods. And um, and and I think that's how, that's the model that's going to go forward. Um, you know, it's, you've always got to keep borrowing from the past. It doesn't matter how thin the, the tendril is, but something to keep the galaxy familiar as you're making the world more broad as you go forward. Yeah. Yeah. And using the characters that aren't featured as much is, is always a good thing to do because... Yeah. You know, there there are toys that are released and comics that come out where there are these these wonderful and bold characters are on the covers or, you know, there are these toys. But and and kids can only, you know, create stories in their imagination about them, but they're never really featured in the films or they're kind of just forgotten about. They're just they're these beautiful creations that are just left there in the toy bin. And that and these and John Favreau and Filoni just are these these kids who are picking them up and and really using their imagination to tell a wonderful story. Yeah these yeah. kind of obscure characters and I couldn't, I couldn't find that more interesting. So that's, yeah, it's very cool. I have two major takeaways from the episode. One is the story about whether or not to make Quill speak basic yeah, yeah, or yeah, yeah. is me. I was laughing. <laughs> I was sitting on my couch, just laughing out loud. Like there was like, like just Dave Filoni just sitting there going, okay, John, go, go ahead. Like just letting John Fowler yeah, figure out that's not going to work. Oh, the uh, sorting. I wanted you yeah, to come do it yourself. Yeah. yeah. What he said. And it was, it was like, amazing. See this. Because Cloney invited in, uh, invited D. Bradley Baker in to do some VO, <laughs> and he started doing all the snorting for Quill. Yeah. And I guess they recorded it, so Favreau was just forced to hear that for Quill, and he was like, oh, "I don't know if this show is going to work." Yeah, <laughs> right. And they, I think he probably was D. Bradley Baker that did the Ugnots in uh, Rebels because they have some there, oh, and it's just that like I, I, I have to check to make sure because that's how the Ugnots talk. It's like, oh yeah, like that's how they yeah. talk, and like to, you know. And the way that Favreau explained it was just like, we've got a bunch of people in masks <laughs> with zero expression and subtitles. It's like, right. It's, and that's like, and then the, the story of the Ugnot talking, talking uh, Jawa, but in, uh, in an Ugnot voice. Like, it's, <laughs> yeah, just like, yeah. like, it's amazing. The so other thing. There's a human yeah. face in the frame for <laughs> three to four more camera setups. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing is that, Clearly, Lucasfilm does have a copy of the holiday special because yeah. they 100% showed a clips from the <laughs> cartoon in HD, which I'm like, yeah. please, 
please release that. But the moment Wait. between Lucas and Falver was <laughs> amazing. Yes. Best part about this episode was that like candid camera, the almost like BTS yep. cameraman just in the corner <laughs> shooting video village. And it's just Favreau sitting a chair apart from George. And he's like, you see that gun? Did you see that gun? Did you, did you, that, that's canon, right? And George is like, no, right. No, not really. No. <laughs> he was like, oh, that. that's from the so, holiday special. Uh, not right? really. Like, no, not, no, no, not I didn't really. really have anything to do with that. <laughs> I like, oh, this is I need this show. I know. I know, but doesn't that make you just feel like more like Favreau's the right guy, though? <laughs> like, that's the person I want going forward being like, this is so cool. What you did is so amazing. Whereas, like, Lucas is like, I don't know. Was it? I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I respect someone who likes to push the boundaries and, and explore all the, the possibilities, you know? And, well, and we, we've got to do. We're, we're in like Star Wars 2.0. It's like we can only cling to Lucas's Star Wars for so long. We have the spirit he created um, and, and we have this great body like this to start from. And now it's time for other, you know, people to play yeah. in his sandbox. Yeah, we need and, to expand. Uh, and and it, as you know, if it's people like these directors that we've seen here, Taika Waititi and uh, Rick, um, for I always mess up his name. Yep, I'll just say Rick and Deborah Chow. Um, I think it's in fantastic hands, and certainly Favreau and Filoni. I mean, they're the beating heart at the center of this project, and their tag team is. You know, we've talked about directorial tag teams, uh, how they're stronger with two heads. They're perfect. They're perfect. Anything those yes. make will be amazing. Um, and, I, and I hope they're able to utilize this team uh, beyond Mandalorian. They're a good balance because because I feel like, you know, Filoni, rightfully, is so focused on Star Wars and what is Star Wars and what is not Star Wars. Yeah. And Favreau is like, cool, what's a good show? <laughs> like, what's a yeah, good yeah. movie? And I think they meet in the middle, right? Not in the middle necessarily, but just being like, how do we take the best Star Wars to make the best show, right? And right. and I think that works really well. And they seem to really like each other. Like they seem to have a lot of fun with each yeah. other too. Yeah, it was an organic friendship that happened around um, Skywalker Ranch. Yeah, um, yeah. I actually with um, Jenny, we watched uh, Fabro's cooking show. I was literally going to bring that up. Yeah, Chef Show. Yeah, yeah, the Chef Show, and um, we just to see <laughs> what was going on there. And it was right around the time that you know they were just starting to work on Mandalorian, but, um, they, you know, talking about how they met, you know, crossing paths between, um, yeah. Marvel and, and clone wars. Yeah. It's uh, a really cool episode of the show. Um, because it's all of, also about Skywalker ranch. So yeah. the show is about kind of, they talk to the head chef there and then Filoni's there too. And it's just, it's, it's a great, like, if you want, I like the show quite a bit anyway, on its own, I'm a big fan of cooking shows and I like yeah. the movie chef quite a bit. It's one of the oh, best, yeah. it's one of the best sports movies of all time. Um, <laughs> and it has the exact same plot of any sports film you've ever watched. And that's why I think it works. Um, but I, that episode, if you're not going to watch the whole series, just check out that episode. If you're a star Wars fan, it's really fun. It uh, gives you a little background in a place that you never would hear, think to hear about. Yeah. Yeah. And as far as directors go, I, I just uh, Bryce Dallas Howard's returning. Yeah. Robert, Robert Rodriguez. Sorry, yeah. Robert, Rod yep. Robert Rodriguez is coming into the picture, which is going to yeah. be exciting. I, I have oh, a feeling that's going to be a very Western themed showdown type episode. Oh, that was yeah. like Desperado or Once Upon a Time in Mexico or something like that. So good. Yeah. And uh, uh, Carl Weathers. Carl Weathers himself. Is directing an episode. Yep. yep. Oh, is he really? Yeah. Yes. And Falbra. So. 
And oh, Faber will be directing. It's actually directing an episode. An episode. Uh, yeah. Really? Because like he was sort of he just sort of was over the shoulders. He didn't get any directorial credit on the first season, but it was like clear that he was. Yeah, direct. I think he had talked about he was in the middle of something at that point, and he couldn't okay. he couldn't did, did, you know he could jump in. I wonder if at that point was he working on. No, I think Lion King would have been done by then. But he said he was working on something. Must have not come out yet. That he couldn't. Mm. He couldn't do. He couldn't give that much time. But he was there a lot. But he couldn't commit like a full seven day schedule to do it. But I think he can now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely the. Uh, right I always thought he was directing over over their shoulders. I I think he was when he was there five out of the seven days. Mm. <laughs> like, right. Like, yeah. They made it look much. like he was always there. But yeah. yeah. He's like Lucas was Lucas on Empire and and Jedi. He was there a lot, right? And he just didn't, right. uh, he did, didn't want to go to exotic locales. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't want to go back to the desert, so he just let what's his name yeah. do it. And we know Deborah Chow is going off to do uh, Obi Wan Kenobi. Yeah. Oh right. Yeah. Right. He's also going to be using the volume, so that's exciting. Yeah. Should be Obi Wan or Kenobi? What what do they call that show? Kenobi. Kenobi. Oh, and- Old oh, old oh. oh, yeah. Love it. There you go. That's a good one. I don't know. I'm going to go with Obi-Wan because Kenobi, I feel like, is the the, the go-to or the kind of, uh, you know, I feel like that that's kind of the most commercially, uh, you know, appealing. Yeah. I think thing. it's going to be Kenobi because at least I, that's the name that actually transferred through all exactly. this manifestation. Yeah. Because he's not Obi-Wan at that point. Yeah, he's he's Kenobi. Bad. Yeah. Obi-Wan <laughs> would be cool, though. I would love to see Obi-Wan. <laughs> it's like I... Thoroughly disagree, but yeah. no, I think I think it will be called Kenobi, but it would be interesting if it was called Obi Wan. Yeah, I mean they could make it about the name, like the death of Obi Wan, basically. But yeah. that, that all reminded me of the Obi Wan game, which was not very good. Oh, I never played that. Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> was that PS One era? I think so. It's PS, maybe PS Two. It might have been PS Two actually. Speaking of video games, uh, uh, we've been burgeoning forth with our Twitch participation, um, trying to figure out how that's going to work, trying to catch as catch can. Um, it's a lot of fun when I get to play with you two guys. Uh, but yeah. uh, and, and actually, Adam jumped on today, which is great. Um, that's we were able to find time for a half an hour. It yeah. Was awesome. And uh, one of our listeners, uh, Casual Nerd Jason, hopped on and uh, chatted with us for a little bit today. So I just want to give a shout out to him. Thanks for hanging out with us. That was awesome. Um, thanks for, for chilling. And, um, yeah, we hope more of you jump on there and chat with us. Um, we're playing the game, but, you know, we're not just trying to pwn noobs. We're just, you know, we'd rather just talk about um, Star Wars with you all. So, uh, yeah, because so I'm the noob being pwned. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and we're thinking about so we've been playing Battlefront, too, but we might also dip our toes into the uh, they just re-released the Ooh. episode one racer, which I guess has multiplayer capabilities. So we might be jumping on that, too. Yeah. Be a lot of fun. Super fun. I can't wait to be Quadranero. (laughs) All right, I think gonna be wizard. uh, Good. I was like, let's not let's not jump. Let's not rush over or trample over Grant's line because that's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited if if Episode One Racer returns. If it's truly out there in the wild, I'm buying it tonight. I think it is. I think it is. And welcome to Kyber Crystal Comics Corner for the first time in what feels like a long time, which I'm getting sick of saying, but hopefully we'll get uh, Star Wars comics more regularly soon. Uh, This week, we're going to talk about Bounty Hunters number three, Galaxy's Deadliest Part Three, As the Scorekeeper Wills It by Sax 
Villanelli, Prianto, Lanham, and uh, Bermijo. Bermijo? Sure. Uh, Nailed it. I apologize if you're listening, which I'm sure you're not. So here's my summary. As Valance and Bosk square off in an epic battle, Uris Sinar steals the head of Valance's droid, which contains the location of Nakano Lash. Mm. Very good summary. Yeah, these guys are still hunting down Nakano Lash, and it's kind of this rat race to find her, right? This ongoing chase. Yep. Right. She betrayed the bounty hunters in the past and killed right. one of the characters brother or sister brother right sure, that's right brother and i think we find out in this issue that she's hiding out on Rusan, which yes. if yeah. you know legends was the there was the planet where the, the great you know jedi sith war happened and there was a massive cataclysm there um, but it looks like in canon now, I don't think there's any mention of that. So if the, in canon, this is just another planet, and it's Rusan for that yeah. matter. And she, I think she's hiding out there. I could think be a gateway, needs... though. Could be a gateway to future stories. Yeah, they could recanonize if they wanted to, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, she meets yeah. someone, and it sounds like she's suffering from an illness. I think like the the uh, the person she talks to is like, oh, you look pale. Or So all we know is Nakano's out there. She looks like she's possibly suffering from something. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. She has a young ward that she's taking care of. And she's, yeah, she's protecting someone. And then, and all these bounty hunters are chasing her down. So yep. that's all we really know about Nakano Lash. A lot's still kept in mystery here in this issue. It's really about the face off between Bosk and, and Balance. Yeah. Part of me kind of wish they just, because I think this takes up about, I'd say 50 to 60% of the issue is just the fight between Bosk and, and Valance. Balance. And, I've been like rereading in in Marvel Unlimited app. I've been reading some of the events that are they they some of the things you can do is look at like events. So it tells you a reading order for like Civil War event or the the Spider Man Clone Saga. And I kind of miss. I was reading some of those issues where it's just like you know what we're gonna tell twenty two pages of just one major fight, right? Like part of me is like, why don't you just do that? Like that would have been amazing to get 22 episodes, uh, 22 pages of just Bosk and Valance facing off with one another. Cause yeah, they're me, that's, it's worth yeah. it for sure. And I enjoyed that part of it. It really grasped me. And I, and I really like that. And I also love, it's in the title of the issue, but I love the reference to the scorekeeper. The scorekeeper. Right? Yeah. yeah. The Trandoshan goddess uh, goddess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just to get this, I mean, pros, of this battle, uh, we get some beautiful illustrations of Bosk being Bosk and being ruthless and awesome in his quotes. Bosk is amazing. Um, and and we get to see really gritty battle and two bounty hunters throwing everything they have at each other. Khan's, uh, spoiler wall, Bosk l- loses, but is still yeah. alive. But I, I just, I need to say this. I don't have any reason to root for balance still. Just because he's there in a million episodes of comics doesn't mean I like him yet. And I just Bosk is a person that will always be close to my heart. Maybe just because I'm an you know original trilogy generation fan. I mean, even though I love all the trilogies, yeah. but like that was where I started. I I was rooting for Bosk the whole time to just like yeah. end balance, and it didn't happen. And it just makes me think like they keep soldiering forth with this character that has been fleshed out. He's written well. He's designed well. I just don't like him. So, yeah, I'm going to build on that. My, my thing is, like, Valance is very big in the old 
old EU. Notice the two uses of the yeah. word old. It's like pre-EU EU when, right. when Marvel had the original uh, comic run and then before that kind of got wiped out of canon when it went to Dark Horse, which is another publishing house. But Valance was big in the old Star Wars. And his story in the old Star Wars comics is really good. And I kind of wish, I don't know how to say it. It's like, I'm right now rereading the Star Wars, or not even rereading, reading for the first time, the Star Wars New Jedi Order. And I'm enjoying reading old EU and just being like, this doesn't connect now. And it's just kind of a fun story. And I'm like, if I wanted balance, I think I'd go back to that old story that was told right. beautifully. And now it feels somewhat shoehorned. And I may upset Grant in saying this, but Valance to me feels like Conan in Marvel Comics right now, where Marvel Comics oh, is, is telling me that I have to love Conan and they're going to make me love Conan by putting Conan in every single comic I'm reading currently. And I feel like Star Wars is doing the same thing with Valance, where I'm like, we're going to keep showing you Valance until you admit you love Valance. <laughs> Yeah. Is that too negative? I don't know. I just thought I feel. I, I sympathize with Valance to a degree, especially with the modern like material we've gotten with the new canon, yeah. uh, where you see like this clan that he kind of tried to protect and he left behind. And then it's his time as a his as a TIE fighter pilot and kind of or, or in the, the Navy or wherever he was in the Imperial uh, Army. Yeah. And um, elite pilot. Elite yeah, pilot. And TIE fighter series, right? He was one of yeah. the characters in TIE fighter, which I right. really enjoyed that run. Yeah. Really enjoyed that. Loved that series. And then right. what was he in? What was the next series he was in? I like, mean, but well, what, I, what I was going to say was, Maybe. yeah, what I was going to say was, <laughs> he's been in like it. seven series and it's like, can we just not? Yeah. He's in a lot of stuff. He permeates <laughs> the new canon right now in the, in the medium of comics. Yeah. And I don't know if it's warranted because I don't know if he's Star Wars in. In my opinion, yeah, I agree. Yeah, he, he I feels think like an Asimov kind of yeah. Philip K. Dick yeah. element in Star Wars. Yeah. It's bizarre. It, if, if anything, he's like a watered down version of Darth Vader. <laughs> you know, like a less interesting or, Vader. Or, or, yeah, or like the non-Star Warsian version of Vader, basically Terminator right. or whatever. Right. No. Yeah. Which, by the way, in the old EU, that was the most interesting plot line was valance versus vader right like they 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 did that they did that right. idea and you're grant you're right because valance is a character when if you were to write valance down on a piece of paper and like these are the characteristics it is a super compelling and interesting character right this idea of like do i have any humanity left in me am i more machine than man that is storytelling that's classic and interesting right. but you're right something about it doesn't feel like Star Wars to me when I'm reading it. And I don't know what it is. The name of the series is Bounty Hunters. And there's so many rich, yeah. exciting, interesting bounty hunters. They introduced a few more in this series, which I look well, great. We're always growing the series. They used some classic awesome ones in Bosk and Boba Fett. Um, but it's just like, okay, so make it about those characters. We already like these characters. Well, you know, don't take this Imperial and make him a bounty hunter and then make him the protagonist through this whole story. Like I'd rather like hear about the death of of Bosk or like, you know, kill off one of these people or Forlom. Make this a Forlom story. Like make it their point yeah. of view for the whole thing. That would be really intriguing to me. I'm just I just don't have any buy-in on balance at all. Well, I think that's a good point. Like I'm so much more interested in um and I said his name earlier. Um Oh, or Urus Brin, right? Like right. that character he's is a super cool character. interesting. And I would totally read a comic where he's one of the one of the focuses. But you're right. If you're going to call your comic Bounty Hunters, be about Bounty Hunters. Tell multiple storylines focusing equally on individual characters than just like like 
again, this I I've been a comic reader for a long time. I'm not a toxic comic book fan. I I again, having read Civil War and the and the Star and Spider-Man Clone Wars or, or Clone Saga, which I'm deep in and highly enjoying, I'll eat it all up with a spoon. But part of me is like I the trope things that annoy me and I make jokes about it on the episodes where it's just like I don't believe covers. Covers lie, right? Like that's one of my biggest yeah. things of all time. Right. This is also like sometimes titles lie. This is not bounty hunters. This is Valance, but they didn't want to call it Valance <laughs> because no one would buy yeah. a comic named Valance. You're right. Well, Vader Down was also a Valance centric. That was the other one. Yeah, that was. Yeah, I forgot about that one. Yeah, um, but I think you know to be the devil's advocate, I think please do because I mean, I think some would argue that Valance is a trailblazer and icon and hallmark of the kind of advent of cyberpunk science fiction. You know, in the late seventies, I think he, yes. his first appearance was nineteen seventy eight. That predates Blade Runner. That predates Terminator. That predates all these things that we kind of relate him to. That we think he's gimmicky for that. I mean, he he comes before he comes before Cable in Marvel Comics, and you know, I can see all the connections there, especially aesthetically. And I feel like I think some would argue that because he predates them. That's very interesting. And why not bring that into Star Wars? Because Star Wars did it first. Like that's I can see that argument as well. OK, yeah. so do it for a one series. Right. Like he's been in. Do a, I think he's interesting? Series. Not really. Like I, well, because, I and this, because this is handled now, better in Blade Runner. This is handled better yeah. in so many other pieces of science fiction. Right. Like, and, yeah. and that's why he was great when it happened then. It was I feel like he's a cameo at best, honestly, because now when you bring him back in, no one understands that he was a precursor to this trope. Like they just think he's another add on. He's just like another, you know, echo of Terminator, of all these other things that came after him. And and I think that's unfair to the character. And I don't know. It just it. I don't know. I just don't feel yeah. that nostalgia. Like Vader fills the box for this thing that sure. to just bring another character into it to be just a foil or an, uh, an adversary for Vader. I don't know. It to me, I would like but to create see, a new protagonist. If you want to Luke make is the, new... Luke is the adversary. I don't. I don't know. I, something organic is a better shadow to Vader because it's organic for the very reason right. that it's organic. Like, right. I don't think you need another cyber cyborg v, v cyborg fights is just. A little extra, you know, what I mean, it's a little over the top. Right. But I'll still allow that if that was going to be I mean, he was sort of the antagonist to Vader in that Target Vader series. And like he was a vehicle to, you know, get Dengar in there. Like that was cool. That was all right. And, you know, he wasn't going to kill Vader. Yeah. Vader. And um, and, and it, like that was a good use of him. I enjoyed that series very much. But this one, it's just like, I like, why are you here? Like, why are you at this party? Like this party's full of cool people. And then there's you. And like, why are you here? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't. I go and, stand in the corner where you belong. Yeah, um, go home. Go get yeah, friendlies or whatever by yourself. Just go. Go to Denny's and think about your life. Have a cigarette and a cup of coffee, and then realize who your <laughs> friends are. They're not both. They're not bounty hunters. You're not a bounty hunter. Or just you can't just be it. like, oh, I'm going to chase bounties because I'm a cybernetic freak. Like, no. Or make him part of the team, right? Like he's a character. He's one of the characters of the team, right? Just. Okay, yeah, I'd be, yeah, I'd be down with that. Fine. I'm cool with that. We can explore him a little bit. I just don't need, I don't need protagonists. Yeah, like Valance again. Oh, a white guy with well, cybernetics. I definitely share so, like, your, this is his I girlfriend. Sh like, come on. Yeah, Give me I definitely share your disappointment uh, about Bosk losing that fight because I, I am dying for like more Bosk in Star Wars. So he's such an yeah. interesting alien species, and this is this goes to what we've been saying for a long time, which is like give us alien species or any kind of alien character 
at the center of these ensembles. Like anything but right. the white male. Like I, I'm done. Right. Like Give honestly, yeah. point, anything but. Right. Yeah. That's Give the other thing. You guys the nail anything. on the head. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, it, it was fine. It's fine. We get balance. It's fine. But I, I just if for comic books where the there's literally no limits. Give us a new character to be a protagonist to like really kickstart this thing with a, a new character. And if you want to have cameos for all these other, you know, classic bounty hunters, then great. Then you can zigzag through, yeah. uh, you know, Boba Fett and Forlom and Dengar and, you know, all these guys, even, you know, the real Boosh or whatever. Like, um, yeah, you know, that would be great. But like, so you make it a Solistin or make it a Togruta or yeah, whatever. Yeah. I mean, you know what? It's interesting. Hopefully people who are listening. This is not their first episode. Um, <laughs> right. I'm sorry to be this negative. Disney does great stuff, but and, and it's all executed perfectly. It's just like this choice of. of yeah, I don't I don't blame know. any of the creative it's things. Probably. I think what's interesting is and, and people have. I also don't think that anyone who's been listening for a long time is surprised by this. We've never claimed to be fans of Valance. I, I think I've been I think I've made the Conan <laughs> Uh, analogy in numerous times at this point but here's something that is interesting that i think may be hitting us if we're going to like take a look at like why are we being so why are we so negative about this right now um and this is not this is not the fault of star wars just kind of an interesting thing i thought about remember when we used to do kyber crystal comics corner and every week we'd talk about three different new comics remember that like that was the standard and now because of the pandemic we get one comic like once a month like I'm still waiting to find out who was who was right. in who was on Cloud City, who grabbed that lightsaber in Luke's vision. And I'm right. like, instead of finding about that, I gotta watch, I gotta read a comic about Valance. If this was one of three comics that came out this week, or one of two comics, I'd be like, cool, that's fine. This is fun. This is whatever. But like we're it's such it's so arid out there right now in Star Wars comics, yeah. comics in general that I'm like, this this doesn't feel like water. This feels like dirt. You feel like you're shooting sand. That is the best analogy I've ever heard. This yeah. doesn't feel like water. Yo, so it's funny you brought up, you know, that um, Star Wars comic and like who picked up the thing because they showed um, Nath. What's her name? The uh, 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 Nakano Lash. Uh, Lash. Lash. So this show Lash within a uh hood and like parka with a with a bandaged up hand yeah and i'm just wondering if like maybe like they were trying to shoehorn lash into who stole that lightsaber yeah maybe as the person that stole that lightsaber which would be kind of esoteric but not impossible you know like that could be that could actually even be a centric you know point of like oh what's she doing now well she's you know trafficking and would I be shocked that they would want to make the Bounty Hunters comics be super integral to the right. other main run? No, because clearly they want us to care about Valance and what's <laughs> happening in Valance's world. Right, and they mentioned in this episode they were like, oh yeah, well it, the Empire just took over Bespin. Um, you know, like so they're, they're, they made a point of putting a benchmark timepiece in there to make it contiguous with all the three other um, series that are going right now, which is Star Wars, Dr. Aphra, and Vader, right? Yeah. Uh, yes. So, um, yeah, so they're all on this sort of post-Empire um, Strikes Back timeline right now. Okay, so I've been kind of paying attention, but also clicking on Marvel Unlimited right now. 
the last thing I'll yeah. say is all of the original Star Wars run from the 1977 on is available in Marvel Unlimited. If you own it, you may not have it. But if you're craving stories about Valance that are good, <laughs> he's there. There it's they are. There. You don't there need they are. You don't need to retell it in a way that's forced into modern canon, which actually I think also the other thing is like you can't do a lot with this character because of where he fits in canon, right? Where back in the old Star Wars stuff, you can absolutely tell that story because they were not feeling shoehorned by canon back in the 70s. They didn't care about it. They're just telling stories. So telling if you like Valance, go read really good Valance stories in, in the 70s. Also, if like the impetus to make a Valance comics and Valance central, you know, stories is to kind of uh, create Star Wars that mimics the like 80s action genre. If you're going to do that and you're trying to make, you know, John McClane or like a Martin Riggs or something like that. Why not just make it an alien species? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Like, I don't need one for one, you know, John McClane's in Star Wars. Like, just do an alien. Like, do something different. I don't I don't need the same thing. Why does it have to be a cyborg in a white guy's skin suit? Yeah. Do I you don't, know, like, I don't get the appeal. Why? why? I don't know. I don't it's know. It's so uninteresting to me. Yeah. Um, <sighs> so, no, no, no. I, I think we're all on the same page. Again, hopefully you stuck with us. Uh, I'll make a <laughs> vow, and you guys can can come with me on this vow or not. We cover everything Star Wars. When Bounty Hunters number four comes out, we will cover Bounty Hunters number four. I feel like I've said my piece, and I've said everything I need about how I feel about this. And I hopefully when it comes out, it'll be in a week where there's other comics, or so coverage of it can be like, yep, that happened, and this happened, and that was cool, and let's talk about the next issue of another comic. But I don't think I need to... I think we've said our piece about balance. And Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, except one more. <laughs> and another thing. I will say, no, there was no character that stuck out in any of our other Kyber Crystal Comic Corner that was like, oh, that guy's annoying. Like, that never happened. No. Yeah. Also, even when it was Valentine's Day. Rendar. If we're going to do this, like, uh, no, don't Dash do Rendar. I love oh, the yeah. cheesy big shoulder pads. Like, give me all of that stuff. Give me balance with shoulder pads and yeah. a lot of pockets. And, Wasn't that and, Dar Champion was really Dash Rendar? Uh, like, you know, in a lot of ways? That aren't drawn like human feet because that was the 90s. Um, so <laughs> I, here's what I'll say. It's like, um, also, if this is your first episode, <laughs> Please listen back to other Kyber Crystal Comics corners. We champion the comics. We love, no, I love comics. the comics. It's great. Yeah. I, I can't wait to spend the next four dollars on the next episode of this thing. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna read it. It's totally fun. It's great. I'm just like I don't know when you when you mess with Bosk, you you mess with my soul. Yeah. And also, <laughs> if you're a listener and you love Valance. Tell us why you love Valance. And I don't mean that. And I don't mean that in a challenging way. We won't. We're, we love our fans and listeners and we respect. And so if you tell us, yeah. please, you know, if you tell us why you love Valance, we will share that with our listener audiences about why you love Valance. Like, yeah. please tell us why. It's because we, yeah. we, we're just three guys who have a very specific opinion. And we know there's probably an audience out there that's eating this stuff up. So tell us why you love them. It's easy to be a hive mind here. We, yeah. we want dissenting views that are intelligently thought out and just, you know, or even emotionally thought out. That's fine. Just yeah. not. And also, as hard as we are on this comic, like I've bagged and boarded it. I've collected these bounty hunter issues. I love Ethan Sachs as a writer. Like I, yeah. I love these comics. And the Galaxy's Edge series that he he did it was too. awesome. I loved it. Oh, the yeah, the Greedo issue. Yeah, standout issue. Absolutely yeah. loved it. Yeah, fantastic. Valance, <sighs> man, I just it just grinds my gears.
Oh, actually, uh, so I did want oh, to bring this up. Somebody were going to there. That's the perfect ending. <laughs> I'll say ground my gears again later. All right. Um, did you see? So the last page of my digital comic I got was a cross section of Valance. Yeah. Did I you did. get that in your uh, paper version, Grant? This one? Yeah. 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 The last uh, this cover is awesome, by the way. The art <laughs> is amazing. Yeah. If Give me a full spread of them, like, brawling. Yeah. Yeah, shout out to uh, Bermijo again. I didn't get that. I don't think I got what you're talking about. <laughs> I got the it. La- it would be the last page. Yeah, very last page. Oh, this? Uh, yep, yeah. that, one, that one. So you got it. Did You, you didn't go through that? I'm yeah. a cross-section guy. I have all the cross-section books. I love it. I love imagining myself in the starships or, like, where I fit in and, like, where's the bathroom on the Millennium Falcon, like, that sort of stuff. Um, and so I was like, oh, okay, you got me here. Like, I'm like maybe this will make me like valance more it it didn't um (laughs) but it was interesting and and kind of cool to at least see the extent of cybernetics as you know it's like well what isn't cybernetic and still you don't really know but essentially at this point it's so small it doesn't really matter i think uh adam just took off his headphones and (laughs) i'm just surprised his first appearance was 1978 like before blade runner before the cyberpunk genre really took off I think the role-playing books were out there. I think other pulpy cyberpunk comic comics were were appearing around that time as well. But yeah, no, I, I get that, and that's the thing. Like, it was revolutionary for the time. He's a revolutionary character in terms of genre fiction, right? Like, sure, right. It's just I don't know. The, he's he just get his dumb as hell. Like, have his just... have his own arc. I would love his own arc that did its own thing. Like, call it the balance arc, and then put him to bed. You know, yeah. but like, okay. So Star Wars did that. They did that last yeah. year. Okay, and I feel like we're like we're trying to end this, and we're like, and Who another wrote on thing. That issue. What's that? Who wrote on that issue? I don't know. Uh, do that was know? the inception. That was like the return of Valance. Yeah. So last year was the 75th anniversary of Marvel, and they did these kind of return, like they 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 did these like. They brought back some of their earlier series that weren't there, like Journey into Mystery and all those other comics. But they also did a special Star Wars issue. Star Wars, the original run, ended at 107. Very unceremoniously, it just ended. Right. And they released issue 108, which is a Valance story. And it's the last Valance story. And it's an amazing Valance story. Um, It's a giant-sized episode, and it tells the story of Valance's final confrontation with Vader. If you want Valance, there it is. Pick up the Star Wars Legends issue 108 from May, I think, of last year. It's probably on—I haven't checked, but it's probably on Marvel Unlimited. It is really well-written and wonderful. And they brought back—there's eight chapters, and they brought back all of the creative writers, all the writers from the original Star Wars run to do that. So if you want Valance, that's a really great Valance story. It'll make you love Valance, and, and maybe they're going to do the same thing, but I don't think they can in new canon. I thought Vader Down was entertaining as well, but yeah, that issue is yeah. especially good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyways, it, 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 it feels a bit overdone. Um, good for Valance. He'll be here. I hope, you know, I want to see more Boba Fett. If he's a vehicle to see Dengar and see some of these oh. other... Like, we will, because they teased them hard in this issue. I almost put that as a, and also yeah. at the same time, they they dropped that. They were like, "Please More stick fun. around; you'll get Boba Fett." We promise. Right, they're using him sparingly so far, but it it feels like this was the Bosk episode. Maybe the next one will be the Boba Fett episode, or or one of the ones down the line. 
Um, but it's cool. I mean, bounty hunters are awesome. They're great. Yeah. I mean, Mandalorian, they were like, all right, great. We're going to do um, a Mandalorian and AIG unit and uh, start there. And it was so fun what they did with them. Yeah. And I feel like this comic really echoes the concepts in the Mandalorian. Like, I feel like it's, it was written after the Mandalorian. And I imagine the writers were privy to the show or at least the concepts of the sh- in the show, because you do hear about the guild and uh, you hear about all these concepts that it's kind of talked about in the Mandalorian. So, right. It's, it's wonder, cool. The cool companion for the show. Yeah. I wonder why they didn't. Eat, why was it IG-11 and not IG-88? Uh, I think they didn't want to overshadow this idea of we're just telling new stories with a new character, um, which is interesting because season two, we're getting so many visits by right. big characters. So I'm guessing I'm guessing we haven't seen the end of IG-11, and I'm guessing there's going to be an IG-11, IG-88 storyline at some point. Oh, all right. I've always thought that. I think you're going to have like oh. IG-88... Wouldn't it just be a more enriching story for IG-88? No one's written any stories about him. You could still tell a ton of them before, right. you know, or after, really, even given the story they wrote. It would just give it a little more gravity, like just one, you know, established bounty hunter in there. Like, Yeah, I also think like when they decided to make IG-11 more comedic, that they didn't want to do that to IG-88, right? I think they want right. IG-88 to be a quote-unquote badass forever. So. yeah. Yeah, so my okay. guess is like my guess if that you only saw him in episode one, they yeah. probably would have just said that's IG eighty eight. But when they had that idea to bring him back and have Quill, because part of me wonders if Favreau wrote him as IG eighty eight, right? And then everyone and Favreau's like, no, you can't do that. Baloney, yeah. yeah. Sorry, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's an interesting thing. I mean, that's a diversity argument, right? It's just like, listen, just because he looks the same doesn't mean they're the same person, right? And it's like we want this one to be different from that one and, you know, in, in mentality and, and have its own vector. It'd be cool if Grief or Kara, like, uh, recover, like, the head of IG-11. And then at some point, baby Yoda comes into contact with the head and, like, plays, like, basically has the head as his new, like, toy in the second season. Like, that <laughs> would be so hilarious. dark, dude. That's so dark. <laughs> no, but I... it's still Taika Waititi talking and it's hilarious. Oh, like, so it's an alive head? Okay. Yeah. I don't think it's a coincidence that IG-88's body is seen in the Empire in Empire Strikes Back in the Ugnaught room, and that, and that Quill has is part of an Ugnaught clan. I think I think those two things are going to be connected in a way. Okay, I like that. I like yeah. that. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. A theory. I like that. Anyways, well, comics are awesome. Palette cleanser. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> Super. Well. Thanks very much for listening to another edition of Core World News. Uh, we always enjoy talking to you. Uh, reach out to us. Um, we'll be on Twitter. Sprat. I mean, we'll be on Twitter a lot. All, all the social media, actually. Uh, Twitch is what I was trying to say. It, it's most fun when at least a couple of us are on because we're just bantering back and forth about Star Wars anyways. And um, it'll be more engaging than me just trying to smoke fools on the um, on the internets. Uh but uh, I, I, I love talking to any of you if you want to uh, chat on Twitch um, while we're playing the video games, uh, Instagram, Which, Twitter. Um, we're doing the things. And uh, they're all Core World News now, right? You're able to Twitch over yep. to Core World News. So, yep. just... so yeah, if you search no, no uh, space breaks, Core World News, that's how you find us on uh, Twitch now. Um, and yeah, we'll be we'll be playing. We'll be doing stuff. And um, 
Yeah, we've got uh, some interesting episodes. I think we're going to do some specialized episodes coming up, um, and they should be interesting and fun. Sweet. Sweet. So we'll uh, talk to you next week, and may the force be with you. This is Grex Kondak signing off. For the latest breaking news, follow at Coreworld News on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you, and good night. Remember, the force will be with you always. Oh! <laughs>